Now, we have been looking at the book of Leviticus over the summer, and if you haven't been with us, what we've seen is that Leviticus is full of rules, guidelines, laws that God has given to His people in the wilderness around, as they're around Mount Sinai. And often, as we've read through passages, it seemed like the rules are somewhat outdated. A lot of them don't seem to apply to us anymore. And that might be the case this morning with our passage. However, what I will tell you is that buried in this passage are some words, some themes, some phrases that come up over and over and over again in Scripture, things that are incredibly important to us. So as I read through these passages from Leviticus chapter 25, I want you to see if you can pick out what some of those phrases or words might be, things that sound familiar to you. Leviticus chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you forty-nine years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, On the Day of Atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it, and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, You shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. If a stranger or, or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor, and sells himself to the stranger or or sojourner with you, or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle, or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. He shall calculate with his buyer from the year when he sold himself to him until the year of jubilee." And the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time he was with his owner shall be rated 
as the time of a hired worker. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. God, we return to your word this morning, and like previous weeks, these rules seem important but historical, important to the people of the past. And so I ask once again that you would send your spirit into our hearts to help us hear with new ears, help us to sense you speaking to us through these words, help us to sense the words of life. I pray that through these words, we might be refreshed and renewed and restored this morning. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, I found myself in a strange situation the other day. My two girls were arguing about hanging something on the wall of their room. They share a bedroom. Or putting up stickers on the wall or something along the lines. I can't remember exactly what they were arguing about. But I intervened before the disagreement came to blows. And I said, actually, girls, we're not going to be hanging anything on the walls. To which one of them replied, it's our room. We can put whatever we want on the walls. Now, this is where the strange thing happened. Because my mouth opened, my vocal cords moved, but my parents' words came out. Actually, I said, it's my room, I'm just letting you live in it. I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked that my parents were speaking through me. And as I thought about it later, I realized, actually, there's some truth to this. Not in the reality that I own the room because we rent our house. I thought about that. I shouldn't have said it that way. But the fact that I'm going to be the one that has to fix it. I'm going to be the one that has to clean the sticker residue off the wall or patch the nail hole if they put something up. I feel a weight of responsibility and ownership that they will never feel. So I should have some say in how this goes. This chapter of Leviticus has God's words sounding shockingly similar, only loving. (laughs) God gives land-owning instructions to a people who have formerly only been shepherds, only nomads. You might remember that Joseph brought his family into Egypt, and they were shepherds. They took the lands that were able to hold all the food that their uh, livestock needed. Yes, they became slaves in Egypt and probably learned some agricultural practices while they were there, but it wasn't their land, which meant that they had to listen to their Egyptian masters only. When they were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, they wandered through the wilderness. They might have grown a few things here and there, but the reality is they have never had lands of their own. God starts this passage by saying, I'm going to give you land. It will be yours. And here's how I say you should use it. These are God's rules for God's people in God's land. That's the whole point of what he's saying. He says, the land is my land. You are my people. Your families are my families. Your money is my money. Your crops are my crops. Your animals are my animals. So let me show you how to use it. 
Let me show you how to live in the land, how to engage with your families, how your money and your crops and your time should be used. And it's true he is speaking historically, specifically to the people of Israel as they are prepared to go into the promised land, but what we see in this passage are rules and principles of what I'm calling God's economy, how things work in God's kingdom, how God works in the lives of His people wherever and whenever they live. Because what we see is that God chooses to build blessing into the rhythm of life for His people. That's so unique. That's incredibly unique in all of the history of the world because the gods of all the other nations are not blessing, they are demanding. God, Israel just left Egypt, and the gods of Egypt demand and demand and demand, and they get into the wilderness, and God says, guess what? I'm going to bless you. How will you know that I'm going to bless you? How will you remember that I'm going to bless you? I am going to build it in to the rhythm of your life in the land. God gives good gifts and good things, and He wants to make sure that His people receive those blessings often. Not just Israel, but you and I as well. And so, as we read this passage, we see three very important things for us, those who follow God. The first is that God builds in blessing, but those are hard to receive. God blesses anyway. Three points for us this morning, starting with built-in blessing. Now, this passage talks about these blessings, and thankfully, we can sum them up in a very easy-to-remember way. They all three start with the letter R. The first one is rest. Now, if you've been with Grace a little bit, you might be thinking to yourself, sheesh, this church talks about rest a whole lot. Well, in the words of Martin Luther, we'll stop talking about it when you stop needing it and God stops supplying it. So, here in this passage, we need to see rest a lot. Rest specifically happens for the land in this passage, which is, again, unique. The land itself gets a rest. God says, six years of farming and sowing and cultivating crops and vineyards should always be followed by a seventh year of Sabbath rest. Don't sow crops. Don't prune your vineyards. Don't gather the fruit from any of those crops in that seven year. The land lays fallow. Six work, one rest. Perhaps that pattern sounds familiar to you. This is the exact same pattern with which God created all things out of nothing at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, the beginning of all things. It's the exact same pattern with which God created the Israelite work week, which we have, we have been instructed to continue on. Six work, one rest. And that land that God is going to give to His people now gets the same rest. That's really important to see. Rest is everywhere for Israel because God is a God of rest. He wants to bless His people with rest back then and now because it's easy to get worn out. He says the same is true for land. The land will get worn out, so give it a rest. But the land isn't the only thing that needs to be blessed. It's not the only thing that gets worn out. So God builds in blessing for His people too. Life is hard. God knows that. 
Sometimes financial difficulties come up in people's lives, and they might have to sell some of the land that God gives to them to another clan within Israel, another family within Israel. Perhaps things get so bad, they have to sell their own labor. They have to hire themselves out in order to pay off a debt. Now, in the midst of such hardship, God gives provisions for His people to help bring rest to each other, rest from their debts, rest from their labors, rest from the stress of losing your family land. It actually comes through family. God says, if you happen to sell your land or your own labor to another clan, a near family member should come and purchase it back for you, right? This is called redemption. A kinsman redeemer is someone who you are related to in some way who comes and uses their own resources to purchase the land or your labor that you have used to pay off a debt. They pay the debt for you. The Hebrew word here is goel, and this is a theme that shows up time and time again throughout Scripture. If something goes wrong, a goel, a kinsman redeemer, can come and purchase your debt. God says this is the responsibility of family. If your family member is going to have to go into debt, you don't treat them as a slave. You let them live with you. You care for them. If they've already gone into debt, you use your resources to go and redeem them and purchase them back. Rest and redemption. Now, sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you don't have a family member. Sometimes you have a family member, but they don't have the money to purchase you back. God actually says there's two other ways this can work. If at some point after you've sold your land or your labor, you come into some money, maybe a relative passes away, maybe you have a good crop on the land you have remaining, you can purchase your land back. You can purchase your debt and earn your freedom back. Or if another family member happens to become financially stable during that time, they can come and purchase you after a couple years or a year or however long after selling your property or your own labor. And if all of those fail, if none of that works, God builds in the blessing of restoration, our third R. There is provision for restoration. After, a, after seven cycles of six work and one rest, the 50th year, God says, is a jubilee. Verse 10, you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. In the 50th year, if you had sold off your land, God says, it all goes back to the owner to whom I gave it. When we go into the land, God says, I'm going to give you specific parts of land. This tribe here, this tribe here, this family here, this clan here. And after 50 years, it all goes back to that way. It is restored to the way I wanted it. This is beautiful because what it means is that once in every Israelite's lifetime, things would revert to the way God designed them to be. They would be restored once in your lifetime because restoration and redemption and rest built into the life rhythm help people sense and receive God's blessing. 
You need consistency. We need the repeated rhythm of God's blessing. I was in the gym last week, and I was doing a workout in front of a group of people who are much, much better than I am, semi-professionals. Uh, they do, there's this guy who does coaching. His name is Derek. He has a whole huge coaching thing on Instagram. He's great. He's always in there working out by himself while I'm in class. And after a workout the other day, I was on the ground trying not to die, and he came up and he said, hey, Steve, do you ever think about your breath while you're, di- while you're working out? And I said, sure, I'm always wondering where it is and how I can get more of it because I am not breathing well. And he said, that's what I'm talking about. You ever thought about the rhythm with which you breathe? And I said, no, not at all. Why? And he said, well, I was watching you, and I think you could really improve on your speed and consistency if you just built in breathing into your movements. Breathe in the same place at the same time always. And I was like, I'm trying just to survive. I have no idea what you're talking about here. And he said, do you ever think about how expectant mothers or people who have social anxiety are taught breathing exercises to help them calm down? It's not just a mental calm, but it's an actual physical calming through breathing techniques. He said, your body starts to freak out if it doesn't know when it's going to get oxygen next. So if you consistently breathe, your body's going to realize I'm okay. I don't need to panic. And he said, you'll be able to continue to move longer than you thought you were able to. Otherwise, you're just going to wear yourself out. That same idea is what God is doing with Israel. Rest, redemption, restoration. Building them into a rhythm of life for Israel. Partly, yes, because it's good for them in the time, but also because it reminded Israel and it shows us and the rest of the world that these are the ways God blesses His people. These are the ways that God blesses His people. This is important for us because the rest of the culture, are the narratives of the world around us are narratives of demand, expectation, work, produce, improve, achieve. But from God... The blessings are rest, redemption, restoration. Do you see rhythms of rest in your life? And if you do, do you just ignore them and continue to follow the rhythm that the world dictates to you? Where have you been able to see redemption at work? Debts and weights being lifted off of your shoulders by someone else using their resources? Or where have you used your resources to lift weights off of other people, to set others free? God works blessings, rest, redemption, and restoration into the lives of His people. But here's the reality. In answering those questions you might have realized it's hard sometimes to receive those blessings. It's hard to receive God's blessings. Now, in order to see this in the passage, we have to ask one further question. Why would God build these blessings in? He tells us two specific reasons. The first comes in verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. God says, I'm building rest into your lives, into the life of the land, because it's my land. 
Resting requires trust in the owner. Resting builds dependence upon the owner. If God says, I'm the one who's going to provide a crop in the sixth year that will allow it to extend until the eighth year, three crops, six, seven, and the planting season of eight, I have to depend on God to do that every sixth year. Trust and dependence, which are incredibly important in an achievement and output-driven industry like agriculture. But God also says this, verse 55, It is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God says not only is the land mine, but the people are mine. And they are going to live the way I want them to live. They're going to follow the pattern of life that I'm establishing for them. That also requires trust and dependence, right? Not holding on to a debt forever is costly. Choosing to redeem a family member using your own resources is costly. Asking for another family member to help you is costly. But God said, I saved Israel from slavery in Egypt, slavery to cruel and evil masters. Now Israel belongs to me, and I will not allow them to go back to that kind of slavery ever again. God uses similar language in the New Testament to talk about His people now. We belong to Him, not necessarily as slaves and masters, but as children. If you are in Jesus, you belong to God. And the, the reality is the only way we can follow the life rhythm that He establishes for us is if we can trust and are dependent upon Him and His blessings. We're only going to live as God calls us to live if we trust that He is a good Father who gives good gifts, providing over and abundantly far more than all we ask or imagine. Resting, redemption, and restoration require trust. They require dependence. And the reality is we're not very good at depending on others. We're not very good at trusting others who operate differently than we do. God's timing, not our timing, makes it hard for us. We don't like resting. A couple weeks ago, we went on a family vacation. And like always, I recognize that it took me two, three, even four days to get to the point where I could start to feel the restorative effects of vacation. I had to let go of some things. The first day that we were gone was Sunday, and I started seeing on Facebook that something had gone wrong with the live stream at church. And I struggled to trust that it would be okay, that people would still be able to get the information from the service watch the sermon, listen to the sermon, I started to feel like I was responsible and needed to do something. I couldn't just rest. I saw this even more acutely when we walked into my house. They were excited to see us. They welcomed us. They said, come sit at the kitchen table. What can we get you to eat? What can we get you to drink? We're so glad you're here. Just rest. And it took like three minutes before I was up helping to put food on plates, pulling things out, making drinks, unloading the car, doing more work. I don't like to rest because it means I have to trust other people are going to do things the way I want them done. 
It means I'm going to have to depend on other people, and I don't like that. I couldn't even make it five minutes. I can't imagine what it was like to have to sit for a year. The question I have is, do you trust God to bless you in the way you need to be blessed? Is God's provision enough for you to rest even from your work one day in seven? Now, this question is not do it because you have to. Do it because God will be angry with you if you don't. But because the reality is whatever work you're going to do, that stuff belongs to Him anyway. Your job, the house that you live in, the yard, if you have a yard, your bank account, your retirement account, whatever it is, it belongs to God anyway. And what we see in Scripture is that time and time again, He proves Himself trustworthy to take care of us, just as He has all along. Receiving blessing is hard. In fact, God established these rhythms for Israel here at Mount Sinai, preparing them to go into the land of Canaan that He was going to give to them, the promised land. And He says, once you get in, here's what life should look like. Well, guess what? Throughout all the years of Jewish history, all of the literature that we have from Israel, both sacred and secular, never, never, ever was it recorded that Israel celebrated the year of Jubilee. It probably never happened. In the face of these amazing blessings of rest and redemption and restoration, they never did it. They chose not to receive those blessings. The prophet Isaiah, writing 700 years after they made it into the promised land, he longed for the day that God would send someone, a chosen leader, to initiate this year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord, as he called it. We read this prophecy from Isaiah 61 for our call to worship. Isaiah prophesied about the day God would send someone to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisons, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You and I, deep in our hearts, we long for the blessings of God, just like Isaiah did, just like Israel did when they heard this at the time. But in our own lack of trust, in our own unbelief, it's so hard for us to depend on God, to trust His timing and His goodness. But the good news is that God blesses anyway. God blesses anyway. 700 years after Isaiah wrote this prophetic longing for the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus goes into the synagogue in His hometown of Nazareth, and He opens the scroll for the teaching of the day, which just so happens to be the prophecy from Isaiah 61. And this is what happens after He reads that prophecy Luke chapter 4, verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. 
And he began to teach them, saying, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Even though Israel could not receive the blessings of rest and redemption and restoration, in Jesus, jubilee has come. Rest and redemption and restoration are poured out on God's people anyway. God is actively blessing all of creation through His Son, Jesus. He talks about these blessings. His ministry on earth was marked by these blessings. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus declares, "'Come to Me, all you who, are labor, or who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.'" Rest. The cross of Jesus is an act of redemption. Think about it. Jesus, who is God, became like one of us, took on flesh, became man, became like a brother of ours, and He earned an incredibly valuable resource. By obeying the law perfectly, He earned perfect righteousness, but He chose to use His resource to purchase our debt of sin. On the cross, He spent His resource to set us free. He is our Goel, our kinsman redeemer. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 explains it this way. Ephesians 1 verse 7, "...in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace." Jesus redeemed us. His entire earthly ministry is also marked by acts of restoration. Sick people are restored to health the way God intended them to live. People who are lame were restored to physical ability the way God intended them to live. The dead are restored to life. The socially outcast are restored to community. Even though Israel struggled to receive these blessings, God blesses anyway. Rest, redemption, and restoration. In Jesus, God is working all of these blessings into your life. He is actively bringing rest to you, actively redeeming you and restoring you to the way that He intended you to be. It takes time. It's hard But through the power of the Spirit at work within you, He makes us more and more able to receive those blessings. My sister, Kathleen, adopted a dog uh, four or five years ago from some friends. They were moving out of the country and needed to give it to someone, and she took this dog in. dog's name is Ruth, and Ruth uh, is a little bit of a unique dog. Ruth doesn't really like people. Some of you are like, oh, my spirit animal, keep going. Ruth, as far as my sister knows, has had a rough life. As a puppy, she was abused, most likely by children. And the way we know this is whenever we go to visit, Ruth doesn't really like to be around me, but that's understandable. I'm large, I'm loud, I've got a beard, I get it, most people are that way. But our two little girls get out of the car, and Ruth starts to shake and cower and tuck her tail underneath her legs. Ruth doesn't really like being around people because people have been hurtful to her, abused her. But Ruth, for some reason, loves my sister and is 
concerned that other people might do to her what was done to Ruth. We know this because whenever new people come around Kathleen's house, Ruth gets really defensive. She starts to get somewhat aggressive trying to protect my sister. She's had a rough life. Now, the other week we were up at my sister's house having pizza in her backyard. She said, I got to let Ruth out because she needs to go to the bathroom. And so we just went on eating, and Ruth was kind of over in the corner eyeing us, the same way she always was, tail between her legs. And eventually, over the course of our meal, Ruth came over and was sitting next to me. And I slowly reached down, gave her a scratch behind the ears. She kind of skittered away, came back a little while longer. I started scratching her on the back. And jokingly, but also a little bit seriously, I looked up and I was like, Ruth likes me. And I can't remember which one of the wise ladies at the table, Margaret, Michaela, Nicole, or my sister said this. Somebody said this. She just didn't realize how good of a back scratcher you are. I thought that was sweet. But I realized that that's the exact same reason I don't really trust God to bless me, because I don't really realize how good of a father that He actually is. God is a great back scratcher. He gives great and amazing gifts to His children. Rest, redemption, and restoration for sure. But more than that, He gives us Himself fully. Every part of Himself He gives to us. And the the reality is even when we struggle to receive it, He blesses us anyway. So I think our only appropriate response is this, what would it look like to build in rhythms of rest, redemption, and restoration into our lives so that we see God's blessings more, we are able to receive them more often, and live as blessed children of God our Father? Let's pray. God, we are able to hear these words about you and believe them. I am able to say these words about you and believe that they are true. And yet, when it comes to living life, I struggle to trust that you will provide over and abundantly, to provide a crop to last for three years. And so I work, I try, I try to improve, I try to work harder. We all do, God. I ask that you would help us to trust Help us to see your blessings at work in our lives. Help us most of all to see your son, Jesus, who gave himself freely to us, redeemed us, is restoring us, and bringing us rest. We pray all of this in his mighty name. Amen.